Hey everybody, it's your boy Steve. Uh, so, uh, Adam unfortunately had something to do this week. I think it was work or something. Whatever it was, he needed to reschedule. And he's like, hey, are you available at this time? And I was like, hmm, fuck that. I'll just do something else. So, instead of that, uh, I'm just going to sit here and talk about the Dungeons and Dragons movie at you for a little bit. Uh, I was saving this for my humble opinion. And, you know, Lord knows I really suck at making those things when I need to do them. But ever since we started doing the tag team switch-off thing every other week, I've had, like, four ready to go. So, this gives me an opportunity to cut the line a little bit and just talk about that. And also, you and I both know that Adam had nothing to contribute to the conversation because he probably hasn't seen it and probably didn't understand all those super big brain references that were in there, like gelatinous cubes and the like. So... Uh, we're just going to talk about that, you and me. Or rather, I'm going to talk about it, and you're going to hopefully stick around for the whole episode. <sighs> so let's begin. Uh, first of all, uh, I think it was good. I'm just going to open with that so you can leave now if that's all you wanted to hear. It is probably still worth seeing. However, uh, I think it was good because I'm in the know, and I could lean over whenever a thing happened and slap the knee of the person directly next to me and go, I understood that reference like 50 times during the movie, you know, whereas a normal person who probably hasn't, you know, spent as much time doing this as I probably might have missed some of those things. And I'm wondering if that actually was what made the movie enjoyable for myself. Like if it wouldn't be good if I didn't do those things, you know, and I have no way to know, like, like a man trying to explain to a blind man what a color is. I don't know how to tell you if the movie is good without the references because I got the references, and I don't know if the movie holds up without them, which could be a weakness for the movie, but I, I'll have, I have no way of knowing. I can't, I can't look at it without that, so I'm just going to have to pretend that it's good without them. Maybe it is. Who is to say? You'll have to be the judge. One of you sports-playing people can tell me, I guess. Uh, anywho, it's uh, absolutely chock-a-block full of references to the setting of the Forgotten Realms and... To a lesser extent, the characters and just all the monsters and spells and the keywords and all the buzzwords that are in the books that you can go, oh, I know what that is. Tight. And it's to its credit, I suspect that the people who made this probably do play this game and they probably set this bad boy up to be, for I guess for lack of a better word, a live action campaign. Um, because the way it's structured really gives me D, D vibes and i understand that that was the point and i also understand that that is essentially just storytelling but stick with me here i'm going to try to explain it because like the, the two characters that we meet in the beginning here which i'm just going to call them by their class names because a i don't remember any of their fucking names and b they're all different so that makes it nice and easy and one note so you can understand this five-man band by what they bring to the table so bard and barbarian are in jail right and Bard dives into his tragic backstory, which, of course, if you were playing a real Dungeons & Dragons game, would have been the thing that led up to this moment where we started our story in Medias Res. So that works out perfectly, just like a real campaign. He talks about his tragic backstory, about how he did a bunch of cool things off-screen, but then had to, like, you know, deal with the consequences, and that would brought him to our session one of our game here. Which, in this case, was pissing off the wrong people. Uh, deciding to quit being a good guy, getting his wife killed, and then having to go on one last job, no really, to steal a magical tablet of bring people back to life from a cabal of 
Well, I guess it was good guys. They, they were stealing from good guys, but they were with a bad guy. So I guess they were the bad guys still. But they were tricked, you see. The, the magical stone of bringing back people, while it did exist, was never the intended goal. There was the secret red horn of plot device that the evil red wizard of Fae wanted. Now, for those of you who do not know, red wizards of Fae are bad guys. And you'll recognize them by their uh, non-smiling bald heads and red cloaks. And also that they're undead and magical wizards and super evil. Just to give you an idea of what we're dealing with here. The, the criteria of storytelling that we are dealing with. Now, anyway, they are betrayed and uh, captured while the bad guy, bad girl, I guess the red wizard in the story is a bad lady. So the bad gal gets away and uh, Barbarian and Bard get put in prison. And then we start off with our very first Dungeons & Dragons related escapade. Random bullshit that shouldn't have worked but does. Uh, you see, one of the prison people that uh, had them arrested here, or is going through their process of possibly giving them, like, early release or whatever, however that works, uh, is a bird person, you see. And they grabbed him, jumped out a window with him, and then glided peacefully to the ground where they escaped prison via living glider, I guess. You know? Which, of course, is nonsense, but that's what makes it fun. Uh, then they begin walking the what has to have been weeks through the snow and uh, mountain ranges of the extreme north of our continent here so they can make it down to the uh, city where they need to be to pick up the rest of the team because they're getting the band back together. This is one of those you son of a bitch I'm in moments because they need to go on one last heist so that they can get back the the tablet of bringing people back to life because his wife is still dead. Um for the record, bringing people back to life in D&D is a very common occurrence on account of player characters can just do that. But I guess in this universe, they didn't have anybody that could do that. They they forgot to bring their cleric on the team. That'll show them. Everyone knows you need a cleric on the team. Anywho, uh, they make it back to uh, whatever the fuck city it was. I don't even remember anymore. I'm going to level with you. I think it was Neverwinter, but who's to say? They make it back there. Uh, they find his daughter, who I forgot. I taught, How could I have fucking forgot the daughter? Holy shit. Okay. Well, anywho, his actual plan is to get his daughter back. Because uh, he wants to bring his life, wife back to life and go back to his daughter, who is still alive. And he got arrested, so now he wants to go be reunited with his daughter. Anyway, um, when he gets back there, she has been adopted by one of his fellow teammates, the Rogue, who was with him in the heist to steal the tablet to bring people back to life. But it turns out, whoops, wouldn't you know it, the Rogue is evil and uh, has... Basically, I'm lying to the daughter this whole time about the reasons that the uh, dad never came back to her. So, Bard looks like the bad guy now, even though, I mean, he kind of is the bad guy because he was like, you know, a selfish prick. But he was doing it for good-ish reasons, you know, to, to bring his wife back to life after he got her murdered in the first place. You know, heroic things. Anyway, uh, they get thrown out of there and uh, turns out Rogue, who is now leader of this town, uh, city, whatever, somehow talked himself into that. Uh, is being advised by the evil Red Wizard of Thay in disguise. Because I guess they didn't recognize her. Anywho, uh, they decide that they need to sneak back in there, and they need to get his daughter back. So the plan is, Bard and Barbarian go and find uh, the other member of their team, Sorcerer. Sorcerer is doing parlor tricks for cash, but it's a ruse because he's a charlatan, and he is just doing magic to rob people. Also, there's a critical role reference in this scene, where he talks about fresh-cut grass. This is not 
anything anybody will get outside of a very specific group of people, but uh, it's there if you want it, I guess. Personally, I don't like wheelie bin Jetsons robots in my D&D campaign, but that's a discussion for another topic. Anyway, so they bring back Sorcerer Guy. He's not confident in his abilities because, you know, he's a, a goober and wild magic and all that. But it's okay because the power of friendship and the power of believing in oneself will give him a plus seven to whatever rolls and stuff. Uh, after that, they find themselves a sweet freedom fighter druid that he knows, which has the power to turn into an owl bear, as the movie helpfully describes, is a half owl, half bear. And uh, they bring her on the team by basically telling her that woo anarchy and she's like okay i'm in that's basically how it went it is a little more complicated than that but basically also sorcerer was trying to put the moves on druid and she finds him disgusting story of my fucking life you know what i'm saying anyway we press on after that and uh, it is time to go and do the thing now they need to get inside a room and to do that, they they send the druid in to use her not-quite-wild-shaped powers to turn into a fly, and then a series of other animals. It's quite the exciting chase scene while she gets discovered and they come after her. But they discover that they need to get past keyword the lock. And in order to get past keyword the lock, they need to get a magical MacGuffin. In this particular instance, it's a helmet that does bullshit that turns off all magic everywhere. And it just so happens that one of our player characters knew exactly where it was. So they have to go find it, and it is in the possession of the most paladiniest paladin you've ever seen. Uh, if this was a D&D game, as all the people I went to see this movie with helpfully pointed out, this would be the uh, Dungeon Master's favorite character, because he was stronger than them, better than them, suaver than them, more powerful than them, handsomer than them, more collected than them, more calm than them, smarter than them, and just all around better than them in every single way. Also, everyone knew who he was. He was a super generous guy. He was no nonsense and could do no wrong. Also, he they made a point of telling you that he walks over rocks rather than going around them, because he just can't be div divided from his you know, path for any amount of time. Anyway, they talk to that guy, and he gives them the runaround, and then tells them that, you know, the be believe in themselves and do righteous things and make sure you uh, join the side of good and make sure you read your Bible at night and drink your Ovaltine and all that shit. And he takes them to the Underdark for like 30 seconds. Uh, this is definitely just an opportunity for them to tell you that the Underdark exists. Also, they show what I have to assume is Menzo Branson in the background there. I don't know that that's what it is because they don't actually say, but I assume that's what it is, which is a drow city, the big one from the... The R.A. Salvador books, you know, Drist, everyone's favorite uh, overused character. Uh, they didn't actually show any drow in this movie. I have to assume for racism reasons, because people have latched onto the idea that people with purple skin are an allegory for black people, which is bizarre to me. But I guess fair's fair in first and second edition. They were literally black skinned. So fine. D I I'll give you that one. But they're not anymore. They're purple now. Anyway. They weren't in the movie, but the city was in the background briefly. Also, intellect devourers were in the movie for a couple seconds for no reason. I don't know why they were there. Just the thing that lives in the Underdark that they can show you was there. Uh, they make it to a bullshit trap that the man explains his bullshit, and then they trigger it, and it all goes horribly sideways. Uh, they make it across the bridge using magic because the sorcerer is not as useless as he says because, hey, they happen to have a magical stick that if you turn it a quarter of a degree, turns into a magic teleportation stick, and they just didn't know it. Because the storytelling is for children, I guess. Yeah, they make it across the bridge to the secret dwarvish trap where they open up the magical box that has the super secret MacGuffin helmet inside that turns off magic. Uh, once they do that, they are immediately attacked by some red wizards where the paladin guy who is the paladinius paladin of all paladins absolutely takes them apart like abstract art. 
it's an absolute fucking joke, and it just serves to show you how much more powerful this guy is than everybody on the team. Of course, the DM can't kill all the things without the players, because that just makes the DM the only character in the story. So he just had them all come back to life right away. So instead of fighting them all again, they ran for a couple feet until a roly-poly dragon showed up. You might be wondering why I'm calling it the roly-poly dragon. It's because he's a big fat tub of lard, round-ass, can't-fly, can't-fire-breathe piece-of-shit dragon. He's the best part of the movie, if not for the paladin. This roly-poly dragon is, is amazing. Uh, he has to waddle himself out like Snorlax out of his cave. When this uh, little bridge they're standing on starts to tilt because he's too heavy, he literally rolls like a log. He fucking slip and slides down it to get uh, to start eating guys like Hungry Hungry Hippo style because it's faster for him to belly slide than it is for him to walk. It's all just great news and so worth the wait. Anyway, they get the magical helmet. Uh, they escape out of the Underdark via a dragon-propelled explosion that just shoots them straight into the air but does not kill them. Uh, they... Give the sorcerer the magic helmet to try to attune his power to it. He sticks it on his head. He meets his ancestor inside the psychic realm or something. His ancestor tells him that he's a punk-ass bitch and can't do no magic and kicks him out. He does this for five more minutes of the movie until the sorcerer stops believing in himself and the bard has to tell him that the power of friendship will give him a plus seven to all his rules, which, thank God it does because we'll still need this thing for getting past the keyword the lock. Uh, they eventually make it to the point where he believes in himself but isn't sure how it's going to work after the party fights about how the bard is so selfish and stuff, which he totally is. Totally fair. Fair is fair. He's doing a bad job. He's doing selfish things for himself, but he'll learn that lesson eventually, I hope. Uh, anywho, they find alternate means of getting into the place, so they split the party, which of course is bad advice. Everyone knows you shouldn't do that, but I wish someone would tell my fucking players so they don't have to sit my goddamn hair out. Three ways they split the party of four. Three ways. Anyway... Uh, so they get back to this here city, and they put their plan into action to sneak inside. Uh, I don't remember the exact details. I'm going to level with you how the plan entirely unfolded. But it did involve getting a painting, cutting the painting out, sticking a portal behind it, sticking the portal inside the treasure cart, which will be taken inside the room with the uh, keyword, the lock on it, so that they can use a portal to walk through it to get to the other side while already being inside it. Because once the portal's inside the behind the keyword, the lock, you don't have to get through the lock anymore. Because apparently they didn't trust the sorcerer's ability to use this magical helmet. Uh, great news. That first plan does work and they do get inside after a little bit of a hiccup. Uh, they send the druid in. She immediately gets caught on the noggin. Uh, they send the bard and barbarian in a different way. And they send the sorcerer in to go through the lock the first time. He eventually tunes with the helmet, uses its power one time to break this lock, uh, and then they find that that room actually has literally nothing in it. It was a dead end, and it was all a ruse by the rogue so that he could stick, take everybody's super secret treasures and run away with them. You might be wondering why it is that we needed this dumb helmet in the first place in order to, like, do anything, as it obviously did not help the story at all, because having attuned to this helmet served little purpose as the key they needed to open a door that had nothing behind it. That's a good question, and it's a very D&D &D thing to do, I guess. But uh, I guess the players just latched onto the idea they needed this thing, and the DM didn't have the heart to tell him it wasn't true. So he just tried to roll with it, but then decided that that was going to ruin his uh, big reveal. So he just decided it didn't go anywhere. And it was a big trap all along. Uh, the, pro the only benefit of this is that the sorcerer gains the power of believing himself and gains plus seven to all his rolls, which I guess is important, because it helps him stop sucking a little bit for the finale. Uh, they eventually all meet up again and find that the, uh, rogue is being a piece of shit who has decided that he's like, Hey, 
<laughs> I filled my end of the bargain, evil uh, lich lady. It's time for you to do whatever you're doing. Uh, the evil lich lady's plan is to take the magical red horn thingy that they stole in the uh, prologue of this story and use it on Neverwinter while everyone is in this big arena watching this cool sporting event that uh, had a bunch of references in it, including references to the Dungeons & Dragons Saturday morning cartoon characters, which you probably don't remember, but I've seen every episode of the show. Um, they are not particularly important, as they are just a cute nod for people to remember, like, oh, I know what those are. Uh, but they showed them on camera a little bit too long for my liking. So we got to see, like, their really dumb costumes in live action really close up, and I wasn't a fan of that. Like, like the little barbarian 10-year-old from the cartoon was kind of funny in drawing, but he looks absolutely, like, ridiculous in, in real life. And I hung on that just a little too long for my liking. But whatever, that hardly matters. Uh, they, that's how they got in. I forgot that's how the party got in the first time. They, they used this, uh, Coliseum thingy to sneak below the floorboards. Don't worry about it. Yeah, they jumped inside a gelatinous cube. It's not a big deal. Anywho, uh, after they, uh, decide that they got the rogue dealt with and they get rid of him and they are sailing away with their box full of booty and they decide that, hey, dealing with the red wizard, not my problem until that they learn, hey, uh, it's an important thing. We should go do the right thing. And the bard finally learns his lesson about not being a piece of shit. Uh, he grabs himself uh, the, what have I been calling it this whole time? The stone of bring someone back to life. That thing, whatever, that thing. Grabs that uh, in anticipation of saving his wife. And they turn the boat around to go save the day, I guess. And then they have a super epic fight in the streets with the uh, bard and sorcerer and druid and... Fuck, who was the fourth? I just forgot. Did I get everybody? No, that's everybody. Barbarian. Barbarian. There we go. Uh, fighting against the Red Wizard, who... Can't lie. Pretty cool fight. Got a lot of spells in it that I can recognize from being in the game. Very exciting. Uh, I have to say, the bard in this show... Or, I'm sorry, in this movie, is supposed to be a bard because he plays the lute. However, bards in D&D are magic. And playing the instrument uses magic. He didn't do any magic. What he did do is he fucking hit that bitch in the back of the head with his loot like he's Al Kabong. And I don't know why it's so funny, but it is. Because they're just giving this bitch such a beatdown. Like, the, the, before that, you know, they were, like, throwing spells or, or, like, rocks or whatever. And she's shooting shit at them or dodging them. And then she brings a stone dragon to life and they have to fight that for a little bit and she makes a big hand show up and the sorcerer bring, makes a big magic hand show up and they fight each other with big magic thumb wrestling and shit. And that's all cool. But then they get up on her and the barbarian's just like kicking her in the dick and the sorcerer's like pew 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 magic and right at her, you know. And the fucking bard's just clubbing her in the back of the head with a musical instrument. And it's, I don't know why it's so funny because it sounds so solid, I think. And you can like hear the echo inside the loot when they bonk her with it. And it's like, man... I, that just feels like it would hurt. I, it feels like the loot hurts more than the magic missiles that the sorcerer sw is slinging at her. And also, I think the druid was shooting rocks because the druid only has two modes in this movie. It's turn into an owl bear or sling a rock. Which, again, druids know magic. Not that I'm saying any druid spells are better than turning into a bear, because they're not. But you get the idea. She could have been using magic instead of slinging fucking rocks at him. But whatever, I guess. Uh, so... They are doing this big fight, and it's super cool and super awesome, and they do win the day, and the owl bear pull just just straight up steals the thing from the end of Avengers with the Hulk, 
where she just picks up the wizard and fucking toasters her back and forth. Bang, 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 And then just throws her into a wall and she's unconscious, I guess. Which is odd because she's a lich and super strong and undead wizard. But I guess you can still conk a lich unconscious, I guess. Seems weird that you could do that because I think that would require like, you know, blood flowing in the brain to be able to do. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. Anyway, uh, they throw her into a wall and they're like, oh man, we did it. And they look over at the barbarian and she's got a big fucking hole in her. And they have this big sad moment where it's like, oh no, the barbarian is dead. And then they just use the totem of bring someone back to life to bring her back to life because the bard learned his lesson that he doesn't need his dead wife back when he's got all the family he could need right now. And it's like, oh man, tight. And at the very end, they are given medals and uh, everyone but Chewbacca gets a medal. And then it sets it up for probable sequel hook. Um, I imagine we're going to get at least another one of these, probably more, because the joy of this is that you can pretty much just use these guys right here as like a Guardians of the Galaxy situation where there's really no quest you can't send them on because their job occupation is just adventurer, which means if there is a world to be saved or money to be made, you can just wind them up, give them a slap on the ass, and send them in the right direction, you know? So... I imagine we'll be getting at least one more of these, probably more than that, since I think it performed pretty well. And it's reviewing okay, which makes me suspect that perhaps people like it, even the people who don't know the references and things. Which, I again, is chock-a-block full. You got fucking owl bears and intellect devourers and gelatinous cubes and displacer beasts and, and two flavors of dragon, at least. Not to mention all the varying... Uh, kinds of spells like Bigby's Hand and uh, Maximilian's Earth and Grasp and Magic Missile and Scorching Ray and Shield and Time Stop and well they fucking love Time Stop they're all over Time Stop they use that like three times in the movie which you're probably wondering how do they win against Time Stop oh it's very easy they uh used plot magic on her and stuck her with the old anti-magic handcuff right before she did it then they all just pretended to be frozen until she got too close to him and then started laughing because her breath smelled and then they started you know thrown around like with the owl bear good shit good shit absolutely good stuff and that's basically the plot synopsis and it's great 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 stuff um like i said i don't know how the movie holds up to somebody who doesn't understand why it's so fun it could just be generic fantasy for those people and to be fair i don't know if it holds up on its own i don't know maybe chris pine just does it for you he was a pretty decent bard and I think everybody else, I, that, that angry lady from Fast and the Furious, whose name I just will not learn for some reason, was a pretty good barbarian. She kicked a lot of ass. I mean, this movie cuts its fight scenes together like a Marvel movie, so you can't really tell what's going on. It's like a kaleidoscope of colors. But sometimes you under, you can see that somebody gets thrown into a wall or something. Um, the sorcerer was okay. I liked how he did magic sometimes, but most of his magic was actually magic items rather than casting real spells which i don't know if they meant to do that or not but the th of the like four or five times he did magic i think like three of them were magic items instead of his actual ability to cast spells and most of his magic spell casting happened in the final fight with the red wizard who should have fucking trounced him i mean she kind of did it took all four of them to win and then the fucking druid just turns into animals and shit, which is predominant, like 95% owl bear, which don't get me wrong, is very cruel. And I'm going to be the um actually guy right now. Uh, rules being what they are, druids can't turn into owl bears. I know that's old news. Everybody who's seen this trailer has already said that, but it's still true. 
Uh, so that's that's pretty good stuff. Uh, the Rogue was played by somebody famous whose name I won't remember. He was also pretty good, I guess, as far as like non-consequential villains goes, I suppose. But the Red Wizard was badass, and I liked how there was all the things I recognized in there. And that's kind of all I got on this. Uh, it was pretty much just an excuse for me to talk about it because I think everyone should go see it and uh, go look at this cool thing that I like. The problem that I had, actually, was that the theater I saw it at didn't have any of the neat giveaways. Uh, some theaters had, like, a drink cup, like a D&D &D drink cup, right? And that's that's nothing. That's a, that's, a, that's a nothing burger of a prize. However, some theaters had a big popcorn bucket in the shape of a D20. That would have been worth getting, and I would have paid money to have it, but it was not offered at the theater that I went to. And I actually didn't know about it until I saw the movie already, and by that point, it was way too late because I would have had to go very out of my way to find a theater that had that. And I could just buy it on eBay, I guess, you know, like a real fan would do. But it's a lot of money for a stupid fucking popcorn bucket. And I don't want to have a big plastic popcorn bucket full of somebody else's chemical butter that I'm going to have to try to, like, wash out, you know. It's just not worth it to me. As cool as it would be to drop that basketball on the table, I don't think that it would be necessarily worth it but it would be tight as fuck. And I already bought the stupid collection minis that came with this movie that are all ass, but I had to have them because they exist. So thank God I have a, yet another uh, fucking Displacer Beast piece. My God, do Displacer Beasts fucking suck. Anyway, uh, there we go. That's pretty much all I get. So in my opinion, that's good shit. And uh, this is... Enjoy. This is your Easter episode, I guess. Uh, congrats. Uh... Yeah, but that's pretty much all I got. Nice and short and sweet for you. I would have gone on more, but there's really nothing else to say. And I kind of sped talk through that because I got I got dinner to eat. So uh, you're welcome. Uh, kisses. Bye.